0: Welcome to It's a Slate of Mind with Allison Hazelden. This is the entertainment industry's video podcast where we spark honest, unfiltered conversations within the community about things we're all thinking about but don't talk about enough. I invite you to join my circle of friends, both new and old, as we tackle the industry together. Hey guys, so this is our final guest episode of season three. And you guys, I can't even believe it. This season has literally seen us through one of the roughest times uh, of recent history for our industry and really our entire world. And I just got to say, I am so grateful to you guys for sticking around and taking the initiative to tune in and continually level up your skills and stay mindful of your health and well-being always, pandemic times or not. So today, I have an absolute treat for you all. Chad Darnell is our guest today, and he is about to blow your minds. I know, that sounds like an overstatement, but it's really not, because Chad is that cool. Chad is a multi-passionate and talented person. He acts, he casts, he writes, and directs. He is also an incredibly kind and fun person to work with, and I feel so lucky to have gotten closer with him over this past year. So, a few fun facts about Chad. In February 2020, he shot his film, The Undertaker's Wife, which he wrote and directed. And just recently, during the corona pandemic time, uh, while he was alone quarantining, he wrote an entirely new script, a whole new screenplay, which has also been greenlit to start production as soon as the unions allow it. How does he do it? Well, we're about to find out. Let's get to know. Chad Darnell.
1: I grew up here in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to Norcross High School. I did uh, children's theater as an actor. Uh, All through high school, I was a Georgia State thespian. I uh, went to governor's honors in theater. I uh, won the state scholarship uh, my senior high school year at the conference. Um, I started working as an extra while going to college, Georgia State, and that allowed me to accidentally fall into casting as a casting assistant.
0: Mm. And I put myself
1: through college uh, doing extras casting, assisting, and working as a stand-in and a photo double. And graduated, went to work for Turner for a couple of years in development, which taught me a lot about uh, the production and and the behind the scenes of the the early stages of a project from concept to really to post-production, working for Turner Original Productions. Uh, then I got back into casting for a bit, uh, started doing principal casting and didn't really love it, uh, because mm. I didn't, I liked being on set. I, and okay. when, you're, when you're, when you're in extras casting, you're there all the time. And when you're in principal casting, you're not. In fact, when you show right. up, people look at you like, who are you and why are you here? And,
0: <laughs> and Something I wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Um, but there were several shows that I did over the years where I was the principal and the extras casting director, and I loved that because I would, if we had to upgrade somebody, I knew who we could upgrade because I right. knew. Them. And um, but also I got all my decisions. I felt very connected to all parts of the process, and I really, I really loved the shows that I got to do the principal and the extras on. Um, I started a theater company. Uh, I lost a the theater company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was not a great experience. Um, and then I moved to California in 2000, uh, with the intention of getting back into writing and, and, uh, acting and at early, uh, late nineties, I had a couple of options on some scripts that I wrote, N- nothing huge, but there was definitely interests that were in them. And, um, so that's, that was, par- that's what made that me. Sparked the- the- that sparked the, yeah. So I moved to California with a couple of friends, um, did the, the, the waiting job for the first time. I, I waited tables at R. Thomas uh, before, right before I moved. So I started waiting t- tables at, uh, just to get some fast money. Waiting tables at a restaurant in West Hollywood. And then I got a phone call one day from Central Casting asking if I wanted to help uh, sp- uh, the extras casting on Spider-Man. Ah. And I worked with Sam Raimi on The Gift in Savannah. So I was like, yeah. So I went in to work for Central just to work on that one film. But then all of these assistant directors who had worked in Georgia found out that I was there. And so I started getting requested for all of these movies and TV shows that were shooting. And at one point there was a summer hiatus and here I was the temp guy and I was casting five movies and nobody else is working. So, um, and I'm just the temp, but it's because I knew all these other people. Right. The so once Spider-Man was done, I, I was offered a job to, to be a, a, a union casting director for them. And uh, I immediately, again, like all these 80s, I started working on Alias, Crossing Jordan, Judging Amy. Uh, and I cast, well, while I was at Central, I probably cast 80 TV shows and feature films. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot, but it, but it afforded me that opportunity to be on set, to get to work with J.J. Abrams, to get to right. work with all these actors. And, and when you are, again, when you're in the extras casting, you're expected to be at the concept and the production meetings. So you're hearing all the other jobs of what's happening with wardrobe and what's happening mm. with this. We can't shoot that scene because we have to, we're back then. so you're learning all of this lingo and you're learning about production yeah. and budget. And, uh, and for me, central casting was like going to college to get my doctorate in, cast, in production. And so I did that for a number of years. And then I, I just kind of like, I just kind of shut down. Like it was too much. I did it for six years. I was exhausted and I just had one really bad day and I was like I'm done and so I quit and then I went back to I would love to go back and visit myself at that time and be like what did you think you were going to do because I didn't have a job right Um, and then they hired me back um for the pilot season a few months later just to cast all of the pilots that were being shot uh in LA and that was I could handle the numbers, but I was casting 17 pilots and pilots are like mini feature films. Yeah. So that was, I mean, it was an absolute total nightmare. So uh, what,
0: wait, what made you go back then after you had quit? What made you money. go back for that? I think piece, it was probably just the, the money, money more than anything. Yeah, it's like I needed yeah. the money,
1: but also it was like, I was bored. Okay. Uh, I think I had a temp job that I was doing. And, um, and again, I knew it wasn't a means to an end. And I thought also, I'm sure that what I thought was if I can work on these pilots, then maybe I can jump on as a showrunner's assistant
0: or a writer's Mm.
1: assistant. uh, Okay, to try to pivot. Yeah. So one of the shows that I cast was Crossing Jordan and uh, they got picked up for another season and the showrunners knew that I wanted to get into the writer's room. And so they offered me the position of showrunner's assistant. I was like, yes, just, and, and that was a great job because I got, again, it was everything that I had already knew about the show. I was the only person on the show at that point who had been there since the pilot because I I did all the extras on the pilot, you know getting, right. so I would get brought in and they would pitch out stories and be like yeah no that was season two, that was episode three hundred one and so I was like the walking encyclopedia for the show, but also I uh, I knew all the I knew all the characters deeply you know I knew all of so I was I I was a resource for everyone, in addition to scheduling everything that happened for the showrunners, and had the show gone another year. I would have been on the writing staff. But it was not. (laughs) So so then I was out of a job again. And then there was several years where I was like, I did a little bit of reality TV casting. I did, uh, uh, I was working for an an assistant to an actress for a while. I was uh, working a night shift in a hotel as the night auditor. So it just kind of floated for several years. And then it was about that time that a couple of friends of mine decided to make a movie and it was so disorganized. It was like, it's going to be 12 stories that take place in a hotel. You'll write <laughs> half of them and he'll write half of them. And I'm like, well, how do they tie together? I was like, we'll fix it in post. And oh I'm my like, God. Never fixed in post because that's not a thing. Um, but I, re- I was there for all of my shoots and he was not a great director. I mean, he, he was a really good commercial director, but he didn't know how to talk to actors. Mm. And so all the actors were coming to me and asking me about stuff. And I had a friend, uh, named Adam, who we were out having drinks one night. And at that point I was like ready to move back to Atlanta. And okay. I was just done. And he said, Well, you know, I think you should write and direct your own movie. And I was like, I have no interest in directing. Uh, I have no interest in telling actors what to do because that's how I thought directing was. It was like I'm telling uh... you. and um I said besides I don't know anything about cameras, I don't know anything about editing. Like I know. And the only story I've ever wanted to tell was the story about Joey Stefano. So that was literally how that entire process, which was years wow. ago. I and would say,
0: so what year was that, that he encouraged you to I direct? think
1: this was, it was, 2000, it was 2009. Okay,
0: okay, 2009.
1: So, um, so I started that, working on the script by Joey Stefano. And um, again, small jobs here and there. I started, and then I realized I am the only person who can direct this film. Because I know the characters, the, the real life people trust me to tell the story. Right. So I set out to direct at that point. But of course, nobody wants to hire a first time director. So I started making little short films and a web series. And, and then we did a, a feature length movie of, of a sequel to a short film that was very successful for me. And, um, and then I went on the festival circuit. And every time I went, it was with the intention of like, great, can somebody give me money for Joey Stefano? Right. And nobody did. Everybody wanted a horror movie. So I was writing horror movies, and they were getting optioned and never made, and optioned and never made. And at that point, uh, Cynthia Stilwell had moved back to Georgia, and she said, you know, the entertainment industry is starting to take off. <laughs> so this was like <laughs> 2013. And uh, she's oh like, you know, there's a couple of shows here, there's a couple of movies, and they're making this really big movie. And um, so we went back, and we, we started a partnership that was based solely on the fact that I would do work, but I never wanted my name on anything because I, mm. I wouldn't be known as like a writer, a director, actor. I didn't want to be known as casting. And so we had a really big movie. Uh, we had a couple of smaller movies that I, I did the extras on for her. And then um, we got Selma. And that was, that was a big game changer for me because it was my big introduction back to principal casting in Atlanta Things had definitely changed at that point. There were people; a lot of people were using self tape. Um, yeah, actors so were just happy to be in a room again. And um, when we got through with that, I decided that I wanted to work by myself. And uh, we our, our ways of working just didn't didn't work together. And we still love each other very much, but it's right. just, we had to lovingly detach from that relationship. <laughs> and so uh, I went on, and I started again. You know, it was. I, like I didn't know if I was going to get a show, and then I, I, I ended up getting uh, Magic Mike XXL. Magic Mike 2 at the time, and I, I did the principles and the extras on that, and being in Savannah, that was the big game changer for me because there were no, there were no actors in Savannah that we could use. Right. I read a bunch of actors, and all of them were just not ready because they right. had not studied on-camera acting. Uh, they, they would post on social media, uh, so nervous about my audition today, I'm like, Well, if you were in front of me, I'm never putting you next to Charing Tatum.
0: Yeah, I was going to say.
1: Yeah, and it was like the the caliber of the talent in Atlanta versus the caliber of the talent in Savannah at the time was completely different. And for every actor that they cast out of Atlanta, they had to pay housing mileage and per diem to travel there. Mm. And so it was a huge expense for every actor they had to bring in. But... The producers expected to because they didn't expect to find any actors in Savannah at the time. Sure. So at that time, I started teaching classes in Savannah, uh, teaching acting classes, teaching workshops, and just trying to grow the market. And um, after that, I moved. I went back. I had not fully moved out of LA yet. I'm still living in LA, in between LA. LA. So I went back to LA and um, I ended up getting a TV show called Mercy Street. And I went to Richmond, Virginia for a while and, and cast that. And then I really liked Richmond. And so I was considering moving like to the Richmond, DC area. And oh, so, wow. and then for the next year, I was, I was in every different state and city. I, I didn't have a house. Like I was- You were a nomad. Yeah, I was in hotel rooms and guest houses. I was casting in Savannah, I was casting in Richmond, I was casting in Alabama. I was casting um, in, you know, just all over the Southeast. And it got to be really, I, I remember saying like, I just want to be able to hang my pictures on my wall, if that's all I wanted. Yeah. And, um, you know, you make fast friendships and then you're gone and you're on to the next show. And one show is a Civil War piece, the next show is about a bunch of kids at the beach. So, and, and sometimes they overlap and, and you're having to keep the tone of the show and, and what people want separated. Right. And I was really good at that. Um, but the, after the second year, I I'd, I'd moved ev- everything from LA was in a pod. Everything from Atlanta was in a pod. And those pods were in Richmond, which is where they're based out of, you know, just waiting to go where I would go. And I'm, I had a guest house in Richmond. And I went up to the film commissioner. And I said, so I've decided I'm gonna move to Richmond after, after the season's done. And he looks at me and goes, I wouldn't do that if I was you. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, we're not gonna have any tax credit money after the show is done. So you won't have any work here for the rest of the year. And this was like April. And I was like, oh my God. And CETA, the Savannah Economic Development Authority, they had been trying to get me to move to Savannah for a year because they were trying to grow the crew base. Mm. You know, much like there was not a lot of talent, uh, working talent, there wasn't a lot of crew. And I fought them for a year. And so I finally called CETA and I was like, I guess I'm moving to Savannah. And so three months later, I, I moved to Savannah and I started working immediately. Um, we had a very busy fall that year and it was, I did a movie called Dear Dictator with Michael Caine and Katie Holmes. Um, and I was, you know, principal casting on all of this. Right. And, and again, I'm teaching classes every weekend and, and, and what's a week. And, the, and you can just tell that exponentially everybody was growing as actors because they were taking classes. It's not to say, oh, there was no talent Savannah. There was no trained talent Savannah. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know how to hit a mark. They didn't sure. know. Sure, like
0: they, they didn't have anyone there to help them. No what exactly. to do. Yeah.
1: And you know there was there was one person that was like teaching acting, but he wasn't a teacher, and he wasn't sure. that great of an actor. And so, um, you know, th- yes, there were people around, but you have to get the correct education in the right classes. And so, I was teaching improv. I would do scene study classes, and we'd break down the script and like character development and. Uh, I, was, I did a little school called Base Camp Savannah and it, we did probably 15 cycles of that where each it was four weeks and, uh, and I would bring people in. And, and so the market grew over the next two or three years. And, um, and this, was, this was after, <laughs> I gotta back up just a, a hair. There was an instance of a film the year earlier that it was, I call it the worst experience of my entire life. Oh, no. And, oh, yeah. No, I was like a functioning alcoholic during this film. Um, and and you, it,
0: this is one that you were casting?
1: I, and I was just doing the extras casting, but okay. then the producers wanted me to dive in and do principal casting as well because they weren't happy with what they were getting principal-wise. And then that location casting director was, like, angry at me that I was working. And I'm like, dude, look, they just told me to read people. Like, I'm, they hold my paycheck. Right. And I'm like, what am I going to do I say no, that they're not happy with your work. And um, so that happened. And then I, the Savannah local news station wanted to do a story about the film. And I'm like, I can't talk about the film. I said, but what I can talk about is the fact that we need more actors right now. And now is the time that if you want to be an actor, take acting classes. So we agreed to do the story. And so he's recording me and he's talking about all the films that I'd cast over the past like year and a half. And, And so the snippet is me saying, you know, if you want to be an actor, you know, now it's time to get in in classes. We need to grow the market here, da 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 And then my voice drops out. And he basically says that I said Savannah has no actors and they have no talent. (gasps) And, and like, this this was, like, the lead story of the news that night. Oh, my gosh. And at no point did I say that.
0: Right. Like,
1: if you watch the interview, like, at no point did I say that. And then Project Casting picked it up. And in 48.5, uh, X, Magic Mike XXL casting director, colon, Savannah needs acting classes. And, and it was all about how I said that Savannah can't, Savannah can't compete with the Atlanta actors, which was another thing that I said in the interview. I said, you know, in Atlanta, I can, I can cast a lot of actors, but I don't have that option here in Savannah. I'm right. saying fact. I'm not trash talking anybody. Right. So I wake up to that stupid article being shared like thousands of times on Project Casting. I'm getting calls from everybody Warner Brothers. I'm getting calls from all over Savannah that they're like, everybody's mad at me. I'm like, did you watch the story? Because literally I never said that. Right. You're
0: just simply encouraging actors to take classes to improve their skills. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great opportunity.
1: Yeah, and it's like, I mean, the agents were calling me, everybody was calling me. And I I got like backed into a corner. And I remember um, one night somebody from Savannah that that ran like the local Savannah actors group. She called me and she said, and I keep in mind, I'm in a a bathtub with like candles lit all around me and a glass (laughs) of wine. And so I answered the phone, like I've been waiting for this phone call. Like I knew it was coming. And she said, I just want to let you know, there's a lot of people that are unhappy with me. Mind you, I've had my ass handed to me from Warner Brothers, everybody. Right, every direction. Oh, really? I said, I had no idea that people were so angry. I said, well, who are these people? So I can call and apologize to them personally. And she said, oh, you don't know them. They're real actors. They don't do extras work. And I rose up out of that bathtub, like Charlize Theron in in White and the Huntsman. (laughs) And I was like, who the fuck are these people? Like, I, I was full so, rage. I'm like, who the fuck are these actors in Savannah that I don't know?
0: Right. And this is 2013,
1: 2016, f- 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 15 probably. 20, 2015. 15, 14, 15. And it uh, might have been f- 15. Um, I was so angry, I was so, so, yeah, I was 15 because I hadn't moved to Savannah at that point. So I, uh, I had not officially moved yet, I was in a guest house. And I was so, so I got up, I, I got out of that bathtub and I wrote this manifesto on my public Facebook page. Um, and I was like, I've, uh, over the past two days, I've been accused of saying things that I did not say. Um, if anybody watched the article, or watch the interview they would know that i didn't say them i've had all these people attacking me um dot 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 but every word of it is true you are lazy and i just went into this whole thing and it wasn't just savannah but i was talking about the southeast doctors as well mm. and i was like i said it's not just savannah i said in in atlanta and keep in mind this is a different period of time in atlanta
0: right so like the
1: there weren't nearly as many casting directors in Atlanta at that point. There were, there were fewer agencies at that point. Um, but I was like, you people in, in, in Atlanta, you are lazy. You're not taking classes. You're not um, getting updated headshots. If, if we send out an audition for a self-tape, it comes in five minutes before the deadline. Whereas an actor in LA would leave a funeral to go do a self-tape if right. they put a text. And you know, just discussing like, People in LA creating their own content. People are creating, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that. People in Atlanta at that point were not really creating their own content, and not as much as they are now. And um, it was this, you know, I I believed every word that I said at that time, and obviously the market has changed completely since since I said that. Right. But it was shared when you wake up the next morning and see that that was shared 1.5k. It's like, oh God, what did I do? And um, So like, but it was like, I remember the first person that I saw who shared it was Christy Clark at Stewart Talent. And she said, mm. this is what I've been trying to tell you people.
0: And I mean, I- absolutely. I can attest to that. At that point I was in Orlando. Well, I had quit in 2014, 2013. But prior to that time, all of my representation was between Orlando and LA. And they were not telling me to have anything to do with Atlanta. They're like, no, 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 no. we're just going to follow the LA way to do things. Like, all my coaches had to be LA trained because of exactly what you said.
1: Oh, and you know, the other thing about the time space that, again, I don't think enough actors in Atlanta appreciate is that thirteen, fourteen, definitely thirteen, fourteen. all we were still getting options on for auditions were day player roles, one or two long mm-hmm. ones. We weren't getting bigger roles. We weren't getting a page of dialogue, we weren't getting a a role that would work over two weeks. We definitely weren't getting guest star roles and we sure as shit, weren't getting serious regulars. And so the expectations of what the market was at that point were a lot lower than what they are now. And I mean, if you're considered lazy now by your agent you're dropped Mm
0: -hmm. that afternoon,
1: there's there's no question. If you're not performing, if you're not doing the things they're asking, you're dumped because there are 30 of you right behind who look just like you who want your spot.
0: Yep. And And ready to go.
1: (laughs) So I, so I, I wrote this thing. And the funny thing was when you looked at the comments, they were all positive and agreeing with me. Mm. So I was like, okay.
0: Glad we're all on the same page.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Choose your battles. Glad you, glad you, you won that one. But, um, it didn't, you know, there were definitely, you know, that, if people weren't pissed off at me in Savannah before, they were really pissed off after that. Right. But, um, but I called them, I called them out. And it was like, just because a movie is shooting on your street does not mean that you deserve a role on it. Right. And I mean,
0: you can be upset about it, but that doesn't mean that you're right or justified in exactly. what you, you deserve.
1: So this was like, you know, this was a different time, but it was only a few years ago. Yeah. And, of course, the Savannah Economic Development Authority saw that, and, and, and I got the phone call. You know, you see that come through on your caller ID, and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> and they're like, so can you move here? And that mm. was when it started. So it, like, it took me a year before they wore me down. But, um, and I just met the woman who was responsible for, for like, headhunting me. I met her a couple of months ago. I would never met her before, but I met
0: wow. her
1: at a, at a restaurant in Savannah. And she, she, she was disappointed that I had left. Mm. Uh, I'm no longer there, but, um, she wanted to know, <laughs> she basically wanted a post-mortem of everything that had happened. <laughs> and, uh, it was awesome. But yeah, so like Aww. that, was like, that was the point where I realized, okay, well, there's no going back now. I can actually speak my truth and I can be honest about what I think are the shortcomings in a marketplace and I can either grow it or I can pull it. And right. So, um, so it, so yeah, so for over three years, I grew that market in Savannah. And now, uh, you know, like on Jared Dictator a year later, like we cast 70% of the actors from Savannah and a lot of the projects that come through Savannah, we're able to cast a, you know, a good portion of them. We can't cast an entire show out of Savannah, just much like you can't cast an entire movie out of Atlanta. Sure. Like people come from New Orleans or, or, you know, from wherever, but it's like, within that 50 miles of Savannah, Georgia, we're doing pretty good that we cast as many roles as we do.
0: Absolutely. And so,
1: um, you know, Florida Girls, I just read right before the coronavirus, I read people oh, yeah. for a week in Savannah and uh, for, the, for the next season. So it's... Um,
0: so you're still just going, going, going. I'll say we yeah. work t- we together in a casting capacity as well. Um, but so all your hats that you wear right now, you are an actor. Yeah. You're still working in casting.
1: Trying to get out of it. I, I, I will say that the only reason that I went back to, and I've been saying this for a year, like I'm, I'm trying to keep <laughs> casting, but the only reason that I went back to Florida Girls is because I love Laura Chen. I love her okay. space. And she is so easy to work with and the money is really good. So, so like, you
0: are, so you are a selective casting director. I'm definitely selective.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and because right now especially with my time because you know with editing the film and these other scripts and the other things that i have going she's so good that i can between self-tapes from the region from atlanta and from you know reading people in savannah i can have a 10 episode show cast with like within a month right which is very very fast but also very, very fast. i like i like creatively working with her so good. i love that's that why i'm doing because i haven't cast I cast the last thing I cast was uh, was uh, the Collected with a friend of mine and uh, David Brown who produced my movie um, Undertaker's Wife. Uh, he was producing that and um, yes, yeah. So which so, is but,
0: how we became such good buddies. Yes, because
1: yes, <laughs> you did everything right.
0: Oh goodness, I was going to say <laughs> I I have like a series of like quick questions about casting, and one of them is craziest story from casting a project and. I was just Look, thinking my, my instance was quite crazy, but, um,
1: yeah, but can I, can I talk about, I'm going to talk about your story. Can I talk about it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can go for it. Because I can
1: talk about it in a way that you can't without it sounding like a, so the thing, that <laughs> I, the thing that I admire a lot about you is that I would see you. And this is like, I, you talk about advice. It's like, I, I do use you as an example. Um, you were, I knew of you a year before I, you know, brought you in.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: I feel like it was a year. If not, it was definitely several months. But I would see you at showcases at Drama Inc. and, and Rob Mello's place. And um, you were always there supporting other people. And then I knew about your podcast. And then I was listening to your podcast. And then I, when I looked you up and I saw that you didn't have an agent, I'm like, how does this girl not have an agent when, you know, you clearly have the right look and you're, you are taking classes and you're talking with classes that you're taking. And, uh, and you have this creative outlet through the, you're, you're, you are creating your own content. Um, and so I sent you sides, you know, i reached out to you personally, I was like, hey, mm-hmm. which I never do, unless it's like somebody that's like, <laughs> I really want to, it. otherwise, otherwise, you know, there's like hundreds of people with agents that I can make my life a lot easier with.
0: Right. So I sent you
1: the sides, I was like, take this. And uh, for the role that it was, you were my favorite choice on that link. And then of course the producers hired somebody else. And um, so unfortunately that actor did not work out. And uh, so they called me and like, we have to recast his role immediately. And I had sent them the link again. And I was like, well, look at my, my favorite three choices. And they were like, we need somebody, no, we like right now, like they have to work like right now, Like they have to be on camera like, like in
0: two like
1: hours. today. <laughs> and uh, so I remember calling you and saying, how quickly can you get to Norcross? And you were like, I could be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> so, yep. and then I called you uh, know a couple other people just to get there as, as soon as possible as well. And nobody ever wants to cast a movie like that. Like that's, n- nobody ever wants to get that call and, and be like the first caller who wins gets, you know, it's never like that. But with with you, it's like they had seen, your tape in the 20 minutes that you, it took for you to get there. And so they were like, oh, yeah, no, totally. That's who we should have hired. Yeah. And, and they, But they also, you know, were going to meet with the other people as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... It, I, it does and then to- I got there
0: and they were like... So when I did g- get in there, I was in the trailer and they were like, hey, this is really weird. Can you pretend like this microwave is they explained the scene and it was something quite dramatic and i had to basically like needed to like freak out and cry and like do all this stuff they're like nice to meet you can you please like have a like a panic attack for us and so i did it and they're like all right great you're in
1: yeah i mean it's again like no one ever wants to hear those kinds of stories but also it's like what what a good opportunity because that yeah you were the choice you know originally and then uh, I mean, I had, I, there, obviously you, you give, I had a, probably a link of 15 choices. And, um, and I always have like my top three or four favorites. And um, it was just, but again, the other thing that kind of irked me, it was like, I told you to mm. hire the person to start with. And, uh, but hey, it all worked out in the end. And, and then of course tough. the movie had, uh, initially we <laughs> had to uh, take a little hiatus on. Uh, yes. but I do know that it's coming back because they have a distribution deal that we have to finish it once Corona's over with, so. Uh, and it'll be great. And it will, yeah, no, it's- it's. And this
0: time fun. I'll come to set and know what's going to happen.
1: <laughs> oh my God, yeah, I mean, like, you literally have no idea what's happening. Like, I didn't,
0: yeah, I didn't know anything about- In the scene. Yeah, but I was I mean, like, oh, who who's, who's on my side? Who's on their side? Do I know you? Do I not know you? Okay, yeah. great, let's do it.
1: Yeah. I mean it's but again that's that's the magic of movies. That's what happens. It's Yeah. In those situations.
0: Hey guys, just popping in here really quick to ask, are you subscribed to the show? You can get the episodes before anyone else each week simply by clicking that subscribe button on your favorite listening platform. And while you're at it, could you leave us a review? I know it sounds silly, but the more reviews we have, the more of your requested guests I can get on the show for next season. So here's to more incredible guests like Chad in season four. Okay. What is your biggest pet peeve when casting for a project?
1: The biggest one that I have is when people, and this kind of ties into like how to work my room. It's when people come in, they're not prepared. They're, mm-hmm. uh, they don't know the, I, I especially hate it when I send, this happened in Savannah, uh, where I sent these sides to the actors. They had them for over a week and then they walk and they still have the sides. I'm like, why do you still have this? I, I gave you a week so you would not right. have the sides. Why are you still on the sides? And again, it's like, you had a week, you're still on the sides. If you get cast, how long is it gonna take you to memorize two pages of dialogue? Yeah. So I, you know, that's a big no-no with me. Um, But my biggest pet peeve is when people come in and they're in character, or they've Mm -hmm. just, they have, uh, they've been psyching themselves into this audition and then they walk into the room and maybe they're playing somebody who has to like have this nervous scene or whatever, and they can't even say hello or whatever, and you know, without, Staying in that moment or people who say, let me give me a moment. Like, no, you don't get a Like <laughs> nobody gets a moment That's not that's not something that happens, right? Like when they say action, you better act and I, I had a On a project that I recently worked on it could have been something that I you know I had somebody who who was very method and liked to take their time getting into the scene and right that's not something that you can do and when we have to refer to you by your character name it's very disruptive to everybody on set my i you have to part of my casting process and why i want to read people in the room or at least know them if i'm putting them up on a tape is that that's the person that's either going to be on that set for a day or for three months and mm-hmm. if they're crazy i don't want to put my crew through that especially if i'm going to be on set doing the extras casting you know sure. not, not doing that anymore but that was definitely my impetus for reading people in the room when I was casting the extras, because I didn't want to hear wardrobe go on and on about how much they hated this actor.
0: Right. Well, and, and, you know, it's like, it's for people listening, it is a very different thing to, you know, have a really respectful question or, um, right. want some clarification and saying that you need an hour to get yeah. in character and delay the production and everyone else from doing their jobs. So just want to clarify that.
1: Totally, yeah, yeah.
0: Like, ask questions, make sure and you know I always, what's going on. I,
1: I, I always, when the actor walks in the room, the first thing that I say is, do you have any questions? Because I, I mean, I, as an actor, like I'm sure, sometimes I do have questions, sometimes I don't. And, uh, uh, but I always allow the actor to ask whatever they want, because sometimes, you get sides and they have absolutely nothing to do with the scene
0: right and
1: uh or the thing that's happening in the scene is is not is not the, the actual what, what the thing is not the thing so i always and i try to clarify that with actors as well but uh yeah no I, i'm always a big proponent of asking questions and but you know come in and just be warm that's that's mm. the thing and 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 be the kind of person that we want to have on a set because mm. That's, that's, we make movies because they're fun. The other thing that's my big pet peeve is when the actor doesn't trust the casting director in the sense of like, I may send you, prime examples on, I had sides that were, um, there were like five or six roles of uh, a certain age bracket for a woman in the next episode, in the next season of Florida And I know that I can have the women in that age group and that category read this one particular role because it's four or five pages of dialogue. So it's a lot of meat to dive into and chew on and play with as opposed to three roles three through five are only two lines. Mm. And so I have everybody read the meteor role knowing that while that person might be perfect for that role, and this person is not the person who's not great for this role is great for role number five, right? And and I can in my notes I can say consider for da da da, and then you hear from like actors and you because I I hear it all. You hear from actors like oh yeah he's 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 reading everybody for that role or or I don't know why I'm being read for that role. I'm nothing like that character. It's like trust me, like I wouldn't waste my time <laughs> or your time. I'm trying to help you here. And that's, it, that's, that's probably my, my biggest pet peeve is when I hear actors annoyed that they had the opportunity to read this bigger role. Right. And not, you know, because, yeah, you might not physically be that role, but make it your own. Yeah. That, take a risk and make it your own. You get a gift because you know you're not that role.
0: Right. I think that's one of the things I've noticed too is, is how quickly actors forget that at the end of the day, it's about money and time is money, so everyone's job and the way that they might be doing their job is ultimately dictated by time and money. Exactly. Love it. Um, okay, you did give some advice, so what would you say is any other um, advice for actors who are gonna come in and audition for you, maybe on Florida Girls or other projects that you're working on?
1: Um, I mean, the. I think that's about it, you know. That's it, about it. Yeah. Be a be, human. Be a human. Just be kind. Be somebody that we want to work with. That's the big, that's to me the biggest, that's step one. That's like 50% of the grading scale for the role. Um, because I've had so many, and, and actors that have come into the audition process and done something so completely stupid that it's like, we would never hire you for that. Right. And, and yet there are casting directors that I have worked with that somehow, you know, and casting directors, the LA, the, the lead casting director. That it's, they see complicated, difficult people walk into a room and they gravitate towards them. And that tells me more about them than the actual actor. Yeah. But uh, it's weird to like see, there were there was one movie that I worked on where two of the actors that were cast were the most difficult people in the room when they came mm-hmm. in for the callback. And uh, when they got to set, they were hated so much that they were released from the film early and we had better choices for those roles and I I don't know what that's about but how
0: interesting
1: but I again had it been me had the roles been reversed and I was the I had no I mean I clearly had no input into her 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 um but had it been me they oh they never would have seen the room
0: I like, would love to get a psychologist's take on that. Like why 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 we want to cast difficult people.
1: I, I don't know, but you know, you you and I both know it happens every day because we mm-hmm. see people that we know are difficult and they get cast. And it's like, you must have had a really good damn self tape. <laughs> like, like,
0: yeah, like like what are you what are you drinking? Like <laughs> what, yeah. what is what is this magic? Interesting. Okay. So yeah. you are so I would say let's move on from casting now because you have so many other projects going on let's talk a bit about writing and directing you just wrapped directing the undertaker's wife
1: yeah
0: you also wrote and now you are in the editing process and let's talk about that experience what I guess do where where would you like to start with with sharing about that and kind of your big takeaways
1: It was, uh, I mean, the opportunity to get to do this movie was great, but it was, it came in like at such a weird time because uh, David, who's the producer on it, was cast, he was producing another film in LA. And the investor on the film suddenly wanted to make another movie right away. Mm. And similar budget. And um, so I get this phone call. We start shooting January 15th. And I'm like, no, we don't. (laughs) Chad is a play that opens January 17th. And so... I you know, begged for the push of like a few weeks, and I get this phone call the second week of December, and I'm you know I'm, I'm a month into rehearsals on uh, Moonlight Magnolias, and I knew I couldn't drop out because I didn't have an understudy, right. and I'm playing David Oselsnick, who was a megalomaniac producer who produced Gone with the Wind, which and
0: he you did amazing in. By the way, oh, I got to see it.
1: Thank you. I mean, it was a really fun opportunity, but in that experience uh, of the, uh, in the play, David has five days to fix Gone with the Wind. He's fired George Cooper and he's just hired Victor Fleming, and they have to rewrite the script in five days. So it's a, it's a fast, he was popping a lot of pills, not that I was popping pills, but he, uh, you know, he, I was doing all of this research for two months on him, reading his books, reading the memos, uh, reading all about the making of Gone with the Wind, and trying to develop that character and now suddenly I'm the director who has to pull off a movie in prep while I'm on the other side of the country in a play. Yeah. So I would we, uh, we started prepping immediately as much as I could. Uh, and then I, we had a Christmas break from rehearsals and then I flew to California, prepped during the break, flew back, got through tech. And then on the Sundays after the show, <laughs> I would have to go straight to the airport, fly to LA and prep. You know, for as long as I could. Like usually, up until like I have to go to the airport right now, take the red eye back, and then do the show the next day, and then show show, and then fly and that back. That
0: was how many weeks were you doing that schedule? Three weeks, three, three weeks, weeks.
1: and it was, um, it was, it was hell. And there's also a behind the scenes element as well that's following me the entire time. And in that process, we ended up losing our two leads. Uh, you know, in the middle of prep. the the first week, lost one the first week, one the second week, and the entire time that this behind the scenes element is shooting, I keep saying like, well, you always get the right actor in the end. You always get the right actor in the end. Right. And I'm like, this is either going to be the greatest movie I've ever done or a total disaster. And the Friday before we start, the Friday of the Monday before we start shooting, so the last week of the show. Okay. at 7 o'clock, at 7.15, I had a phone conversation with Shannon Sossaman, who's only read the first half of the script. Mm. And my stage manager's coming back, and she's like, you know, five minutes to places, and I'm like looking at her like, honey, I could be on this phone for the next two hours, I and mean, people are gonna wait, because we didn't have an actor. And, right. um, you know, I get the places call, and I turned around, and I said, I will be on stage when I get on stage, you'll, and you'll know, because you'll be looking at me. I was like, I was so like, I have to, I have to get this actress. And Shannon's like, well, I'm gonna finish the script, and then I'll call my agent. So I hang up, I like go running backstage, you know, grab the doorknob, and the other actor says, well, did you get your actress? And I realize in that moment, we still don't have her. <laughs> and I'm gonna come back in intermission to a text message that says I either have her or I don't. And, and uh, you have
0: to go out and perform yourself now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's the, the frenetic energy of like having your entire show kind of imploding, though, not giving it the energy that things are bad. It's like, we're going to get the right actor. Everything else was fine. The designs, the crew, the load in, like right. the only drama that we had was the fact that we lost our two leads. And then we also lost the kid. We were quickly able to replace him, but, and we got a, a really great kid. Um, but knowing that that Friday night, we didn't have one or two on the call sheet and we started shooting Monday morning, and, and you're having to have those conversations like, what's gonna happen if we don't have them? We'll cast unknowns. Well, what does that mean? Like, how are we gonna <laughs> cast two unknowns over the weekend? And uh I mean, I up calling friends? Like, hey, you wanna lead in the film? I'm like, that's, and I got back, she had said yes. There was much celebration. And mm. then at midnight that night, we got John Brotherton from Fuller House and, uh, and he was at The Conjuring and, uh, Fast seven, so he and he's and they were great. They were really, really great. The shoot was seamless. We we got done a day early, uh, under budget, which never happens. I was gonna say, wow. Yeah, and And so uh, all
0: came together. But so for those days, for you, because you had, I call those kind of situations um, endurance training. (laughs) It's my way (laughs) of like not saying this sucks, but it's like okay, I'm. This is. world testing me and i'm gonna learn things i'm gonna come out of this stronger but for you was it just kind of like a i just have to keep moving forward and trust it's gonna fall into place how did you get through it that's
1: exactly i that's exact i said it a hundred times during the process i said this is like training for an iron man yes because i'm doing you know i'm not only am i having to spend hours at a day focusing on the play and rehearsals and learning my lines and getting the character and all of that and then doing the rehearsals and doing the show and and you're in your car from Midtown to Marietta for an hour a day there and half hour right. back. And you're having phone conversations and you're having to produce this, prep this movie remotely for the most part when you're not there and dealing with casting and dealing with all of these unknown elements that you've never been a part of before because this is my first, I used to say, yeah, I directed a couple of things, but it's, this was the first movie that I directed where there were actual trailers and there, right. were, there was a crew and it wasn't just me buying stuff on Amazon. And, you know, it, like I would say, can I help you with anything? And the, the crew would look at me like I had two heads. And they're like, no, <laughs> why? You can't help move anything. And uh, so, but yeah, no, I used to say that it was like training for, a, for an Iron Man. So that when it was just the movie, you know, you wake up Monday morning at 5 a.m. and you go to set and all you were doing is focusing on the actors and the camera and that's it it was, it was like a vacation. Yeah. There was no more David O. Selznick. There was no more.
0: Right. Uh, All the traveling uh, back and forth.
1: No more traveling. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah, that's what it was like.
0: I think, yeah. And I mean, I, I love, I love hearing these stories and getting that affirmation that I'm not the only one who's like crazy and is like, I'm going to come out of this stronger. And, um, you know, it's going to make every other project that you have after that, that much easier. You're like, oh, well I handled yeah. that. So this is going to be a cakewalk
1: exactly and you have those moments where like you know that it's coming you know that there's going to be the day when the actor turns on or the the day where it's like they're going to get into a mood and they're going to they're going to do their thing and you know it's coming because it happens on every single movie and tv show that happens it happens every there's never been a movie anytime
0: any people are working together on anything i feel like it's going to
1: happen yeah somebody in the crew is going to snap at you you're going to snap at somebody and not mean it um but you know in th- those moments you know that those moments are going to come and you just have to quickly apologize as quickly as possible. or you know if the actor is not feeling something and, and you have to explain it to them in a different way and, and it's always in a moment where it's like it's something dramatic that's happening and you want to have those conversations with them way far in advance to prep them so there's no question in their performance of the scenes that you're shooting now that will lead up to that moment right but um yeah, it, it was, there were several of those moments where you feel like you you got your teeth kicked in and you turn around and walk away. And you're like, okay, no, I survived that. I, I can do this. And, right. um, and there are those moments where you have to stand your ground and be like, no, we're doing it this way because the plot depends on it or, or whatever that thing sure. is. Sure. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a really great experience. It was the moment, like like I said, Birthday Cake was a different situation than I directed because I was in it, I wrote it, I directed it. We shot it, the entire movie in five days and it was all shot docu-style. So it could be really dirty. I wasn't mm. focusing on lights. It wasn't, it was, it was like shooting a, a movie with friends. Um, but this was not, this is somebody else's money. This is... Uh, there's this, more
0: business involved.
1: Yeah, there's insurance. Well, not that there wasn't insurance and other people's money involved on, it, on Birthday Cake, but it was like, it's... It's a, you know,
0: the scale of it.
1: Birthday Cake was a a $15,000 project. Undertaker's Wife was around a million. So it's like, that's a big difference there.
0: Sure, absolutely.
1: um, So, yeah, no, it was great. And while I was working on that one, I was already writing the next one. And I just finished that script. And hopefully, we can go to camera as soon as we're lifted from quarantine.
0: um yeah i was gonna say for anyone listening we're shooting this in the middle of coronavirus pandemic um yeah. so chad has been you've been writing a lot you said you've been working on posts for the undertaker's wife
1: yeah that process is not fun I, i'm not a fan of the post pro- process for 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 a film you always forget that part like after you direct the film you forget that <laughs> weeks and weeks and weeks of staring at the film and I, I've gotten to that. You go through these, these uh, hills and valleys of like, this is great, and then this movie's terrible. Nobody's going to watch this movie. And I, you see another cut up, and you're like, oh, my God, I think this is really good. And so The and Disney
0: in me is thinking, have you seen Tangled?
1: Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. when she's
0: like spinning around the tree, and she's like, I'm never going home. And then she's like laying on the floor, like, this is the worst. That's yeah. how I imagine that process to be.
1: Yeah, it's, you're, you're watching... You know, you have an editor whos it's their job to assemble the entire movie. And so he assembled it and he sent it to me and I was like, oh my God, this movie's two and a half hours long. <laughs> but he did what he was supposed to do. He assembled the movie. He didn't try to edit or cut sure. around anything that it's now my choice to have to go in and shave off 45 to 50 minutes of the film. And some choices were very, very obvious. And then other choices, you have to get very creative. So it's, the one thing that I will say is I don't think I'm, I don't think there's any, any like air in the film. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense, it's like it yeah. feels very, very tight because of the story. And again, it's I did want to play some moments out on the actors, so. But it's uh, it's yeah it's been an interesting process, uh, and it moves into color and sound at the end of the week, and and then I hate that process because then you're you're just you're listening to things and not seeing it. Sure. That 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 process nearly drove me crazy on birthday cake, and uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm really, I'm I'm, I'm I'm anxious for people to see it because it's very different. I think that's the way to describe it. It's, it's my editor said it's like a Coen Brothers movie. and I was like, mm. I don't think it's like a Coen Brothers movie at all. But that's your interpretation of it. <laughs> so that's, so, yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what he.
0: I'm very excited to see it. Yeah. And from everything I've heard about it, it is a thriller for those of you who might not be familiar, but it is a thriller. So, so like you said, I'm sure the pacing is really tight, moves really fast and, um, everything I've heard about it sounds fantastic. So I'm so excited for it. What I want to know now is because you are so multi-passionate. I am also a super multi-passionate person. I aspire to have the amazing resume that you have one day, but how, like what advice would you have for people who want to wear those many hats of actor, writer, director, casting, like how has, what have you learned from your experience that you would recommend others do who want to kind of broaden their scope?
1: It's such a great question because I, um, in the 90s, I was working with a casting director uh, who told me that I had to decide you, you can either be an actor or a casting director. You can't do both. And I was like, watch me. And then, <laughs> uh, you know, yes, I mean, I did put acting on hold for, a, uh, for many, many years while I was focused on, on casting, but primarily because I didn't have the time.
0: Right. In extras
1: casting and central casting, I was working 24-7. I would go in on the weekends to work just so I, the phone wasn't ringing. And um, so, I mean, that was a choice of mine. And, and then as I watched friends of mine go through the audition process, my, my old roommate, Link Hand, who's a, who's a working actor now, he, um, I would watch him go through the process of having to audition and audition and audition. And I was like, you know, I'm not really ready to jump back into that yet. And then when I did Birthday Cake, I did it because I wanted to act again. And I wanted to write and I wanted to direct and I wanted to do my own movie. And, and I, I loved Madison Hatfield's uh, podcast with you when she said, I was never getting offered these kinds of roles. Yeah. So that's why I wrote the role that I did. And the funny thing was, it was very, there were many people that were very, very positive about my my relationship with uh, Rib Hillis' character. And then I did have people that would like shockingly come up to me at a film festival and say, I didn't buy your relationship. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, it was like, because uh, his character was Dan and, whatever his character name was, he said, he would, uh, he would have been with somebody way hotter than you. Oh. Yeah, and I was like, thanks for the note. And like, so that's like, why okay. you didn't Okay. <laughs> so that, that weird prejudice does exist, but it's like, but then again, there were many people that did buy our relationship. Just, I mean, in um, and they, all of these comments came out during Birthday Cake. None of them came out during Groom's Cake. Groom's Cake was shot as a, as a mockumentary short about a gay couple who is uh, planning their wedding. And uh, in their wedding is their happening in three days. And they find out that their adopted baby is coming in three days as well. Mm. And so many people who saw the short thought that it was real because it was shot very dirty. And, and our relationship was, you know, so, and people knew of Rib and It's like, oh, yeah, no, I think he's that actor. And Rib is straight in real life. And, Uh, when we screened it at festivals, the first question was always like, what happened to the baby? How's the baby doing now? And like, you know, are you two still married? And it's like, none of this was real. And so, but it looked so real documentary style. And, um, and I, you know, again, like during birthday cake, there was one guy in particular at at Palm Springs Film Festival, he said that to me, because it came out of left field and it hit me really, really hard. And I was like, "Oh well, maybe I'm not a I'm not attractive enough to be an actor," mm. and and I, I I held on to that for a while. And uh, I was just getting ready to consider getting back into acting. I'd been with Atlanta Models and Talent um, as a teenager, and um, I, I went back with them. And I even had these conversations with Susan G. Reed back in the day when she was there. I was like, "Maybe I'm not." The right look and which was stupid because as a casting director i know that everybody has a look right and i know that anybody i I was second guessing myself and i was basing it more on i'm not attractive and around that time uh brie larson was going out on the circuit for room Mm. and she was even saying at the time she's like she's like i'm in a weird i've always been a weird place for hollywood because i'm not attractive enough to be considered leading lady and i'm not unattractive enough to be considered character And I was like, that's me, I feel the exact same way. And um, I would always get these auditions for, you know, swishy gay uh, sales clerk. And I would be like, this is, I'm not what they're looking for. And I can make this my own, but I know what they're looking for and that's not me. And um, I know who they're gonna hire. I would say, especially
0: in the days before we were really diversifying what that character could be.
1: Exactly, and even now, even now still, it's like we get those auditions, because I've seen several of them uh, that have been on popular shows here in Atlanta. I'm like, oh God, do I really- It's that buy-
0: same, same archetype. archetype. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, and it's like, oh, let's write the gay character in, because that's all that he can be this way. And he can only work in a, in a store that sells clothes. So, um, or he does hair, and, uh, and that's not me. And, um, but more to the point of like being the hyphenate, uh, I, back when I first moved to Atlanta, I had a t-shirt that somebody gifted me and it said, uh, writer, producer, director, actor. And um, I wore it one time and somebody on Facebook said, no, you need to decide, uh, or no, I, I wore it. And then somebody took the comment and posted it on their own page. That's what it was, mm. like, you know, for advice to people who want to pursue a career in acting, you need to decide what it is you, and put all of your focus on it and not split your focus. And like, was this whole like rah-rah session about how you need to decide if you're going to be an actor or you're going to be a director or you're going to be a writer, but, but don't split your, your. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not a thing. Like you can be anything you want to be. If you want to be an actor for a couple of weeks, great. If you want to be a director for a couple of, like, it's just like, like in quarantine, it's like nobody, nobody should tell anybody you have to be productive during this period. Right. You can't tell anybody like how to be their, you can have management. I mean, obviously there are great career management people if you need that. I don't need that. I'm gonna be a writer director right now. And if I get an audition that's something that I'm interested in and that I wanna do, I'll absolutely audition for it. But I'm not, uh, I don't believe that you can tell people that they can't do what what's inside of them. Let, let somebody write a script, pursue it. If you wanna be a writer, write every single day. If you wanna be a director, Read books on directing and just study, study, study. Listen to podcasts from directors and, and listen to audiobooks from directors and, and get out and, and with your camera and, and do content with actors that who are looking to do content. But it just it drives me crazy when people try to tell other people, you can't do, you can't be. It's like who the fuck are you to say that? Absolutely. No.
0: Yeah, I mean I love, I love, love, love the approach that I feel like for you it's such an intuitive thing where you trust yourself, you trust what you need creatively. And sometimes that's gonna be one of those hats and it might be two of those hats or you might right. put one of the hats on the shelf for a while. But I love that trust that you that you have. Is that kind of where you like go from? Is that what kind of leads yeah, you? Yeah, and I, you know, <laughs> that,
1: that, of course, throw in the other weird, weird thing. Like if you've noticed the one thing that I never called myself, Was a casting director yeah i've never called myself a casting director and i don't think of myself as a casting director when i introduce myself to people i say i'm a writer i'm an actor casting is something that i've always done yet having that on my imdb page people treat me a certain way Mm. and like there's certain times people will call me in to be a part of a casting panel and there's other times where it's like i'm not a casting director i mean i don't consider myself I don't like to use that as a mantle. I don't, I think it's something that I do. It's not something that I am. I right. think that I do offer some advice that's very uh, important to people. But I think also, I know for a fact, that there are certain people and organizations that don't like the fact that I'm very open in how I communicate with actors and, and the advice that I give.
0: I mm. think a lot of times
1: they like to have the sort of- The barrier. the casting director you are the actor. And as a creative, who's also a director and a writer who works with other people, I I think that you have to communicate more and you have to be open to that.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and I think this is something I talk to my marketing clients about who, you know, when they're multi-passionate and they're like, well, like I do this, but I also do this. Like, should I just like not talk about how I also do this to these clients? I'm like, no, no, no. Because all of those things are part of you what you have to offer, the value that you're bringing to the world. And if people don't see why they're related and connected under your brand that you're presenting, then that's on them. But all of those things are important to you. So great. Roll with it.
1: Exactly. And I, like, I've stopped caring what people, what the perception that people have of me because of my experience in casting, I have access to a lot of actors that I've worked with over the years. So Mm -hmm. that when I send a script to them, I can be like, I worked with this actor on so-and-so, da-da-da, and they know who I am. And they, we obviously have a good relationship or I wouldn't impose myself, my script in, in, in asking them to be a part of
0: it. Yeah.
1: And, um, and it's, as, as I've, over the past few years, since I've made the decision to really transition out of casting, I stopped worrying about, well, what are, how do people see me? What do they think of me? And, it is, you know, I, I, I put myself out there, like I want to be an actor, like I want to work in these theaters in Atlanta. And yet every, you know, I put it out there that I want to do this show with you. I, 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 I'm, I Maybe I'll produce this show and you don't get those opportunities. And, um, and again, Atlanta is still a very insular city where mm-hmm. people do hang in their own little cliques and whatnot. But I think in order for us to continue to grow and thrive in a market and c- to compete with New York and LA, we have to, we have to widen our ponds a little bit.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful note to leave it on. And that's what I think we're gonna do because you just like preached to me. <laughs> I feel like I just went to, to the church of Chad Darnell. Um, so what I would love to do is for you to share how our listeners can connect with you, stay up to date on your projects and either on social media or your public sites and stuff like that
1: yeah my uh, instagram and twitter is at chad darnell and my facebook is at chad darnell casting but i need to find a way to change that (laughs) because but as of right now it's at chad Darnell. right
0: okay Um,
1: yeah
0: awesome and then you have let's see this will be coming out soon so is there anything like current coming out that people should keep an eye out for
1: No, I just, uh, hopefully, you know, Undertaker's Wife will be out around October. That's what they're aiming for right now. October
0: 2020?
1: Yeah, there's been a lot of interest in in acquiring it quickly as, you know, the studios are not making content. Anything that's sort of in production right now is considered uh, (laughs) a very hot commodity, so... Yeah, we are. You know, that's the one good thing we have going for us right now is the fact that everybody is looking, actively looking for projects. And as soon as we do get lifted, I have to go back to LA for a bit. And uh, I have a pilot that we're I'm pitching with two really great producers, and and we're in the process of trying to get Joey Stefano on the on the board. We got a really great new producer involved in that. So yeah.
0: love it. I love it. I love it. So everyone go uh, check out Chad online. Chad, I cannot thank you enough. We've been talking about doing this for so long, and you just shared some amazing information. I know everyone's going to get a lot out of this
1: episode. Thanks. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, my Lord. I don't know about you guys, but hearing Chad talk about his life and his work lights such a fire under my butt and makes me want to tackle all the projects still on my to-do list like yesterday. I can't thank him enough for sharing his journey and what he's learned through each of the many different hats he wears on a daily basis. I hope this episode was inspiring to you all as well. If you're a multi-passionate person, I hope you celebrate that. I hope you hone each one of those skills and interests because I am telling you, it will only serve to make you a stronger and more agile player in this business. As always, I love connecting with you all on social media, so feel free to pop on over to at it's a slate of mind or at allison underscore hazelden on instagram or my allison hazelden public page on facebook and say hello until next time i'm your host allison hazelden well friends that's it for this week's episode of it's a slate of mind i'm allison hazelden and thank you for joining us see you next time